Today's episode is brought to you by Musical Theatre Radio's Merch Store. Looking for that perfect gift for someone or just want to treat yourself to some great musical theatre themed merch? Head to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the All Things Theatre button on the homepage and check out all the different designs available. And now, today's interview. Welcome back to another episode of Be Our Guest here in Musical Theatre Radio. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. If you are in London, England in October or November of 2023 and looking for a heartwarming musical to go see, Flowers for Mrs. Harris at Riverside Studios starring Jenna Russell might just be for you. Today, we have Rachel Wagstaff, the book writer of the show, to tell us a little bit about herself and the musical. It's a great pleasure to welcome Rachel to the program. Rachel, hello. Hello, Jean-Paul. Lovely to meet you. You as well. So before we get into uh, the, sh- the the production that's coming up soon, uh, I always want to get to know you a little bit better. So I always ask my guests for a 30-second bio. So my question is, who is Rachel in 30 seconds? <laughs> 30 seconds, well, um, <laughs> I've always wanted to write. As a, even as a child, I knew I loved writing. I just didn't know how or that it was possible to do it as your your work. Um, I first saw a musical, I think I was about 13, and I saw Miss Saigon and fell absolutely in love with musical theatre and have been hooked ever since. And I write stage plays, I write musicals, I write for the screen. But this musical, Flowers of Mrs. Harris, is the one that, that truly has my heart. Nice. I'm always curious. Um, you said you you liked theatre and you saw Miss Saigon when you were younger and everything. Uh, I'm always curious, are you the black sheep of the family when it comes to the arts? Or is it, a, is it an artistic family who loves the theatre and, and performing and things like that? Um, well, my parents, um, my father was worked for London Transport and was a bus, London bus driver. Um, so drove drove through the West End, but um, not stopping at the theatres. And uh, my mother uh, worked at a primary school. Um, so we're not from... Uh, a naturally artistic background, but my father was always, um, I discovered later on in life, used to write radio plays when he was a, when he was a boy. And uh, my parents certainly go um, uh, go to the theatre, but we're not necessarily the most artistic of families. <laughs> and my it's... brothers both think what I'm doing is ridiculous and keep telling me to get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> well, when he goes to see the show in, in you know, at, um, you know, Riverside, then maybe they'll change their mind but <laughs> so, so that's curious because I'm obviously there is maybe some kind of genetic thing if, if your dad used to write uh, the radio plays and I'm always curious about that you, you know nature versus nurture that sort of thing yes I've wondered about that I mean he said he wrote them for himself and he's written books on buses as his main passion in life is um <laughs> is the, the 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 London bus and many buses beyond um so his he's I don't think he, the radio plays were produced as such. They were things he was interested in writing for himself. Yes. Um, but it was something he kept very quiet and only really mentioned in later life. But uh, I think I'm sure it helps to have people that care deeply about about the things about which you're passionate <laughs> and to encourage you and nurture that. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful to my parents for, for while, as I as with my brothers, to keep um, continually telling me to get a proper job for supporting my work and coming to see it and staying awake uh, most most of the time uh, when they do come, come, and, come and see see the shows. But they, they've been very supportive while uh, acknowledging it's not necessarily their, their world as such. But yes, I, I don't know quite what it is that makes us who we are. 
as a child, I was all surrounded by books and that was what I loved most to read. But it was my brothers, what they most enjoyed doing was playing football. <laughs> was was writing the path you always knew you're going to take or was there something else you thought about doing in life um, instead? I, I mean, it never occurred to me that you could actually be a writer and make that your life so I always assumed I'd have a job um and so I have had lots of jobs in my time I've um I, I think when I first started I worked at Faber I was an intern at Faber and Faber um making tea very bad tea for people so that didn't last very long and I tried working at a think tank and um again my, my tea wasn't great and nor was my stapling so I don't think that was a career that was ever going to blossom um, and I just did different bits and pieces I taught. Um, and then as I began writing and the writing took off, I think I was very lucky. And my first play was picked up and um, at the Edinburgh Festival and I was approached by an agent. And then I was approached by a television company to write some television. So I was very lucky and it did happen quickly initially. But as you know, it is, it's not the easiest thing in the world to make a living doing. So I've also taught creative writing at university. I did that for many years. And the last five, 10 years or so, I think I have been focusing solely on the writing, but um, it's it's a dream to be able to do it. But the trouble is when your passion becomes your work, then that becomes a different challenge. And how do you then remain passionate about what you do? So the challenge I always find is to only ever take on a project that you want to live with for many years. I love adapting books. People have always said, why don't you write your own stuff? I say, it is my own. I just happen to be taking something I really love and care about. Um, and so I always dreamed of adapting books. The first thing I ever wanted to write was an adaptation of the Sebastian Folk's novel, Birdsong. Mm. Uh, and uh, I remember people saying to me, why not write your own play? And I said, well, I, I just would love to do this for the stage. Mm. And so that for me was always the original, the thing I wanted to do more than anything to, to adapt work I cared about and loved. And so if I brought a book, my criteria is always, do I want to live with this for many years? If yes, then I'd love to do it, no matter whether no one's heard of it or whether the whole world has heard of it. It's it's about something that I feel like I can um, you know, have as part of my life and continually be excited to go back to. Because as you know, musicals in particular aren't written, they're rewritten as the old adage goes. 100%. Now, we're going to talk about uh, Flowers from Mrs. Harris, but you, you piqued my interest a second. How do you make bad tea? I'm really curious. Uh, well, you either put too much milk in or too oh. little milk, or you try and tailor it to everyone's taste, or you leave the tea bag in too long. In England, this is a disaster. The second you make bad tea, I'm sure there are other problems as well. <laughs> I had my tea this morning. I probably put too much milk in it, but, but you know what? I'm okay with that. If you put too much milk, I will drink your tea. So, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So let's let's talk about this production of Flowers for. Well, let's actually take it back. What was the, the impetus for writing Mrs. For, uh, Flowers for Mrs. Harris in the first place? So I, I think I just adapted Birdsong, um, which is set during the First World War, for those people that don't know the novel. Beautiful book by um, novel by Sebastian Folks, about, mostly about some English tunnelers in the First World War. And I was very interested in writing about people in the most extreme of circumstances. So, of course, I was drawn to the, to, to the poetry and the literature of the two world wars in particular um, as, a, as an adolescent and in my 20s. And, um, and then I was approached by um, Cat Stevens, or Yusuf Islam as he is now, to write a musical. And so when the producer was trying to think of someone that would be interested in writing and uh, adapting a novel or novella set 
around the time of the Second World War. It actually ends, it actually starts a couple of years after the Second World War. So post-World War II um, London. So I'm interested in that particular period of time and interested in musicals. I was very lucky that she had to think of me. And so um, I was sent the book by a producer called Vicky Graham. And it was her favourite book when she was a child. And I read this book on the, on the train on the way to university to teach my uh, creative writing at the University of Hertfordshire. And I remember, I'm not a public emoter, <laughs> but I was sitting on this train and I read it all in one go. The train journey is about an hour and 20. And by the end of, of the journey, I couldn't, I was reading faster and faster, so desperate to finish. And then I was very embarrassed and I couldn't stop myself from crying on a train in public. And it, I knew it had got me and I knew this was the thing I was desperate to write, to adapt, to work with and live with. I, it just, it has so much heart and soul and it has kindness. And I think that's the thing that I look for in everything I do, that celebration of the goodness in people and that, that kindness in humanity, which feels so elusive and so precious these days. So I loved her, the, the central character, and I loved the world in which it was set. Um, I, I loved the producer who brought it to me. I loved her integrity and her passion for it. And I, I, I couldn't say no. And I didn't know then that it would take over 10 years <laughs> to write. But I, 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 if I could go back in time, I would say to myself, absolutely, you have to do this. You would always regret not doing this one. And, and when did you start writing it? How long ago? You said about 10 years, but... Um, well, we've had so, we had years of workshops so I th I've got a nine-year-old son now and I think I wrote act one before he was born and then I remember going to a workshop when he was a tiny little baby and that act two after he was born so and then years of workshops and then I think the first production was 2016 in Sheffield yeah. um, which went very well and then it went on again in 2018 um, in Chichester so two lovely wonderful regional theatres in in England and then um, you know we hoped we dreamed that maybe one day it would happen again um, and there was talk of it for years and, and finally now all those years on at least 10 years on it's happening again fantastic well congratulations on getting it on its feet again um what what changes have you seen in since the that last one in 2018 i think you said 2016 has there been any changes to it and and what kind of progression has there been i mean it was interesting going back to it actually uh i think it, because it's been reorchestrated, mm. uh, I talked to Richard Taylor, our brilliant composer, about it, and he was saying, "Well, really, it's very difficult to to change anything because the the the, the dialogue and the music is so carefully and tightly interwoven." So we said, "Well, let's go along and see what's needed." And I found about ten words I wanted to change when we had the first read through. And I spoke to Richard, and I said, "Well, we could tighten up this section on that and that and that." And he said, "Well, the, but if you take that out, then that all falls apart." <laughs> and we sort of found us looking at each other and saying, "Well, actually, maybe." Maybe maybe it was all right. <laughs> so we we've we've I've polished up a few lines and sections here and there. You always hear stuff in in the mouths of new actors or in a, a new production. But it's the thing that I've messed around with the least <laughs> in all my um, years of working in theatre. So I just I I mentioned, I mentioned I just then worked on the Da Vinci Code, which I've co-adapted with Duncan Abel, and that was again a, a very different sort of challenge, an incredible honour wonderful and exciting thing to work on and we started working with Dan Brown on it and that one because it's so the the challenge of creating of creating and containing that epic story we're continually challenging it and examining it and trying new things and rewriting it yeah. but with Miss Harris because it's so contained and it's such a delicate piece it's very difficult to pull out any line without anything unraveling 
But of uh, course, Mrs. Harris has been honed over many years. Plus, Mrs. Harris was The Da Vinci Code is only in its second production in its infancy. So I look forward to seeing where that goes. So the, I look forward to the day where I no longer have to rewrite anything I'm working on. It, it's such a hard thing as as a writer and an artist to to not want to just nitpick and 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 change. Because I, I go back and read my stuff and go, oh, maybe I changed just this little line or this little... And, Sometimes it's easier to be a baker or a chef. Once it's done, you can't change yeah. it. <laughs> but yeah. we have the opportunity to keep meddling with it. So good on you for letting it be. <laughs> well, I think with this, I was sort of told <laughs> I was instructed. <laughs> I'll get that to you. <laughs> but I did find I did find a few lines I've managed to sneak in, pretending they were typos. Or, oh, we maybe change this word. <laughs> so you're in the middle of auditions. I mean, I mean, sorry, rehearsal right now because it's going up and. Uh, as of this interview, about three weeks, give or take, yes. uh, from now. Uh, I'm always curious, when, when you're sitting there watching the uh, rehearsal process, is there sometimes moments, is, has there been any moments where you go, they get it, that actor gets it, or they bring something new to the lines that you have, something you didn't think of, or they get a laugh that you didn't realize was there or something like that? Well, I think there's always moments like that, and that, I think that's the the power of theatre and collaboration that other people bring so much to what you've tried to do. And so it's it's wonderful when an actor suddenly finds a new way of inflecting the line or understanding the line or a new intonation or, or, or we were just, just um, discussing one of the early scenes and an actor suddenly says, the actor playing Violet, um, Annie, suddenly says, Violet Butterfield is Mrs. Harris's best friend and suddenly said, oh, it, well, when this happens, I, it made me think of this and I thought my character might feel like that and and that would be deeply upsetting for her. And I thought, you know, I'd never thought of that, but that's brilliant. Yes, yes. And it was wonderful seeing the way that these these actors have thought so much about their characters and they're bringing so much to it. And then sometimes they ask a question and you think, oh, I haven't I hadn't thought about that either. Yeah. Or, or they make you understand something in a whole new way. Um, and of course, and other times, the most satisfying thing is when they understand the line exactly as you intended it to be written. <laughs> and you think, well, that's wonderful that, that something, you know, really su- simple seemingly straightforward line where you've tried to weave in layers of meaning beneath it or subtext and they get it and that's fabulous wonderful well let's talk about this production the creative team can you tell us a little bit about you know some of the people involved Uh, well the director is called brona lagan and um uh, and she i've not worked with her before but i have seen her work i saw the musical rags that Mm -hmm. she directed at the riverside studios which was absolutely um no sorry Go back in time. Uh, Brenda Lagan, the director, who and I, who I admire very much. I've seen her work before. I saw the musical Rags, which she directed, which was on at the Park Theatre, and I thought that I found that incredibly moving. And she was um, suggested to us by the one of the producers. So the producers are Ollie Hancock, um, whose brilliant idea it was to do this. He saw the piece in Chichester, and um, eventually contacted us and just said, "Look, it's my dream to make this happen." And he said he was very honest. He said, "I'm early on in my career, but I'd love to do this with you guys." Would you be interested? And he talk, spoke about it with such passion and um, just honesty, just uh, that, that we couldn't say no, really. <laughs> um, it was so much more convincing than sort of some big approach. And then it's grown with him over the years. He's brought in Katie Lipsom from Aria Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, so the, they're the two producing it. And then we've got um, new orchestrations by Jason Carr, who is um, incredibly brilliant orchestrator who actually at the first day of rehearsals he said he was sent this book 20 years ago and he read it oh. he said oh how would, you, how would you do this without making all cockney rhyming slang apples and pears 
So he said he, he said no to it. And I said, well, thank you so much for being here, Jason. But more importantly, thank you for saying no 20 years ago. Or we wouldn't be here. So uh, he's done the orchestrations. Um, Jonathan Gill is the musical director. Um, again, another very, very talented man. Um, and then um, the design is Nick Coral. And I have to say, it's the only time I've ever hugged a designer um, for the first day of rehearsal after they showed the model box. It was it was very beautiful. It was an exquisite design. And I, you know, again, I, I didn't really, I was trying, I'm trying my best now. I'm not the most articulate when it comes to the spoken word. Yeah. And I was trying to say to him without gushing, I really love what you've done. And I was I was really struggling to find the words. And in the end, I just said, oh, thank you. And gave him a hug. Because I, it was it's beautiful. It's It's sort of, very innovative, very inventive, right. very um, heartfelt, fab fabric-based to be thematically rich, but also elegant and fluid to allow us to move between time and space mm -hmm. in a heartbeat. Um, and, and I think very beautiful to look at. So I, I, um, I admire his work very much. Then we've got Adam King doing the lighting and sound design Charlie Smith, who worked on the production in um, Chichester. Um, Sarah Perks, Sarah Perks is the costume designer and uh, yeah, I mean, basically, it's a very, very talented team. Very pleased to be working with Broner. The original um, director for both Sheffield and Chichester was Daniel Evans, who I, I don't know, you may have seen him in Sunday in the Park with George. I, um, I, I saw him in that and have been a huge admirer of his work ever since. And then he went on into directing and worked at Sheffield Theatres and then Chichester. Um, br utterly brilliant man. And Rich and I couldn't imagine. They kept saying, who would you like to direct it? And all we could think about was, well, we'd like Daniel. <laughs> and then... Um, but of course, it's a new production, so we couldn't we couldn't go back to Daniel because the whole point was to to, to create something new from this. Um, and Daniel's now very busy running the RSC, so I, I'm sure he's the best. Far, you know, I'm sure he's booked up for years now. But um, Katie Lipson and Ollie both raved about Brona and said, "Just meet her," yeah. and we did. And Rich and I were both a bit nervous, thinking, "Well, what?" You know, how could she possibly convince us you know, that we let her have our precious baby? And all she did was, again, just talk about it from the heart and with such understanding and such care. And we came away from, from the meeting with her and said, yeah, yes. And then the first day of rehearsal, though, again, the way she spoke of it, the way she cast it, the way she understood it, the way she's been nurturing it, you know, we couldn't we couldn't be happier. Very nice. Very nice. It's always great to have a team because it's such, it's, it's like you're giving up your baby to somebody else and you, and you just don't know them and it's scary. But when they come in and wow you like that, it, the relief must just wash over you. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's exactly that. You feel so nervous. What if they don't like it? What if they don't get it? What if they want to change it? What if, what if they think you're an idiot? What you know? What 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 if all the what ifs yeah. all the happiness run through your brain, don't they? It's, it's always very nerve wracking meeting someone new, um, whether it's someone who's going to do your show or someone where you're adapting their book. That's an, that's an even more terrifying uh, meeting when you meet the person whose book you've adapted, and you're you all you can hope is that they understand you've tried to honour the heart and the spirit of their work. Um, and, and so for the and the, with the director, it's this sort of inverse, isn't it? So it, I find it all terribly nerve wracking. I always wonder why I didn't get a proper job because <laughs> nerves like this to live on this, with this amount of stress. And then and then not only do you go through this awful process of handing out something over to people, but then you allow other people to come in and judge you. You get your friends and your family to come in and tell you whether you're really good at your job. In what other world does that happen? They come in, they watch it, and then they say, "Oh, I didn't really like that bit." Oh no. 
you I'd never go into my brother's job and say, oh, I think if you could do work a bit hard on that spreadsheet, please, or whatever it is. Um, and then not only do you allow your family and friends to come in and judge you, total strangers, and then you allow critics to come in and write about it, but publicly uh, weigh yeah. up your heart and soul. Oh, it's awful. Why do we do this? <laughs> now you've just made me re-question everything I do now. <laughs> I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> But of course we do it because we love it and because yeah, I know. we really bear to live with, with anything else. And we're incredibly lucky if we get to do this. And each time it's, you know, project by project, it might all collapse and that's it. And then you do something else. And that's okay too. Exactly. Exactly. So it, this, the show starring Jenna Russell. Had, had you worked with Jenna before or seen her in anything? Um, no, I'd seen her, but I had not worked with her. But um, again, it's very difficult because we had Claire Burt, who is the incomparable Claire Burt, as um, a composer, of course, so. Who is who is incomparable? She's she's extraordinary. She just has such humanity and depth to what she does, and and you feel for her mm. so deeply and a beautiful voice. And again, we couldn't imagine anyone other than Claire. And they again they said, "Who do you want to play Miss Mrs. Harrison?" We kept saying, "Claire, can you just play yeah. Claire?" But again, we we understood and we respected the fact that they had to start anew, or else well, otherwise, how can you do a production? If you're bringing the previous production with you, how can it? How can you direct someone who's already found it with someone else? So we understood that they needed to to start afresh in every way, and they suggested Jenna, and Rich and I again just looked at each other and went, well, "Yes, who, who else? Who else is there?" And again, as with, you know, as with Claire, she's got the most incredible voice, but there's such there's such um, subtlety and warmth to her. To, the, to her acting, to her performance, to, to who she is as a person. She's very incredibly generous in a rehearsal room. Um, real modesty to her, but everything she says, everyone's hanging on every word. She's, she's just a, a wonderful, beautiful human being. And actually she and Claire are, are friends. Hmm. And when she was off the role, she very, you know she did speak to Claire and, and was you know very, just, just handled it all beautifully. And I have nothing but the greatest love and respect for both Claire Burt and Jenna Russell. And I very much look forward to seeing Jenna in the role. And I will be thinking of Claire as well. Nice. Well, congratulations on getting the show on its feet again. And uh, I wish I could get over. Across. There's so many good shows over there that I wish I could get. And why do you have to be 5,000 kilometers away? Like that is well, always the question. <laughs> if you'd like to bring us over to you, I'm sure we'd be thrilled. I I oh I would love to do things like that too. <laughs> the same reason I can't get over there, I can't get people over here. But one day I would love to see uh, Flowers from Mrs. over here. And uh, oh, thank you, thank you. Well, I wish you were the very best. It's a pleasure to speak with you, and thank you very much for for reaching out. No problem. Well, let's get to the important part: how, what, where. How do people find out more about the show and and buy tickets and and all that important information? Oh, well, this is why I need someone to have told me what to say. Um, the Riverside Studios, <laughs> Riverside Studios, which is in West London. Um, so if you look at their website, River, Google Riverside Studios, um, West London, and the, the official opening is the 5th of October uh, this year, 2023. Um, so I'm sure, I'm sure that it can be found that way. Um, uh, just, yeah, I very much hope people come and see it. It'd be lovely to be supported. And as I said to, to you, I think that we've all had such a difficult time over the last few years with COVID and emerging from COVID and that fear of other human beings and being in a theatre packed with hundreds of other people. And we're slowly, aren't we? Slowly, slowly going going back to life as it as it was, although perhaps we'll never quite be the same. So I just encourage anyone to go to the theatre and support theatre and, and help us get back on our feet again. Perfect. That's 
I couldn't have said it better. I agree. Let's just get back into the theater and enjoy it. Uh, Rachel, thank you again for, for coming on. And it was a pleasure to meet you and, and learn about, more about yourself and the show. Oh, thank you very much. Love to speak with you, John Paul. And very, very best to you as well. Thank you. All right. We were just speaking with uh, Rachel uh, Wagstaff, uh, the book writer for Flowers for Mrs. Harris, which is going up at the Riverside Studios in London, England, uh, September 30th to November 26, 2023. So if you are over in the UK, make sure to go check that out. It sounds like a fantastic show. Uh, tune in next week as we'll speak with another guest or guests about their life, love, and passion about musical theater. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. And until next time, I'll see you when I see you. <laughs>